Amen. Man, it is so awesome to have you guys be a part of Central's service today. I'm excited about what he's doing, and it's awesome to be able to worship. Didn't we have a great time just worshiping the Lord today? That was awesome. It was awesome. Hey, right, my name's Pastor Gary, and uh, um, just it's just an honor to be able to be a part of the service this morning. And before we kick this thing off, it's okay to say thing, right? I mean, church thing. Before we kick it off this morning, I just have a question for you. How many of you would like to be sitting at the beach? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not talking Swan Lake either, just for those of you that like Swan Lake, okay? Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just to be able to enjoy the creation and the, the beauty of the beach and the water and the sunset and all those things. It's, it's awesome. So I want you just to be able just to have that interaction to get us going, you know, um, just to tell the person next to you or across the sanctuary, just to say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to get to that beach. I'm ready to do what God's called me to do. I'm ready to see what God has in store. Because the snow is coming tomorrow. Can we sing hallelujah? Hey, it's 50% chance. There's no school tomorrow. I'm calling it. Oh, if you're in Carroll, we already have no school, so I like I'm I'm forecasting pretty good, but hey, it's, it's going to be great. But so I want us just to, just to, 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 to know, you know, that God's, God's in this place, and so we're going to get going. Who has ever experienced a last minute? I mean, you've been part of the game. You've been in the game, that last minute buzzer-beating shot, that buzzer-beating situation, and you won the game. Anybody, everybody, anybody been in that situation, the last minute, last second, you made the free throw, and you won the game? Okay, well, how many of you maybe have been in the, in the stadium? You've been, you've been a part of a last-minute experience that was just phenomenal. Okay, a few people? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's awesome to be able to be a part of that and have that kind of an experience. And so for you and me, those experiences are great moments as we get going this morning, even more so for the fans of those teams where you are Winning. It is awesome when you win and you can remember, man, it was great. My team came back and we, we won the game, all those types of things. But then for the fans that lost the game, it's a little more daunting. It's a little bit more harder to remember back that day. Oh, remember that day? Yeah, I hate that day. Hate that day. Right? You see, it's just hard to live because that, that day is when your team lost. And so we think about all those things and, and, and how upsetting it can be or how rewarding it can be. And so we have, a, I have three different uh, greatest comebacks, or greatest upsets uh, here. And the first one's right here. was phenomenal. How many of you guys remember that particular video? Okay, we caught it live. So every one of you should have raised your hand. Come on now. You were all a part of that. Okay, it was, it was awesome. Okay, it was, it was thrilling. It was exciting. It was great. But then that was just the semifinals because then it came back in the finals. They beat Finland 4-2. to two. It, was, it was just to, to, to win the gold. And how what a great, great upset that the 1980 Olympic team did. Then there's number two, Douglas versus Tyson 31 years ago. 
Douglas was a 42-1 underdog, and I'm not a betting type of guy. Don't do it. All right? I think my money's better at other places. But at 42-1, to 1, you're like, why are you even in the ring? Right? I mean, you, you, the odd makers are saying that you don't have a chance. I mean, you're going up against the ear-biting Tyson. Right? Mike Tyson. I mean, come on. Well, so anyway, Tyson was uh, 37-0, 33 knockouts. And on February 11th, 1990, Douglas knocked him out in the 10th round. It was a great upset. And then one of more of my favorite type of upsets was the Denver versus Cleveland scenario. All right, it was, it was phenomenal. It was called the drive. In the span of five minutes and two seconds, John Elway led the Denver Broncos 98 yards down the field in order to score a touchdown. We're going to start acting it out right here. Everybody come up on here and we'll play a little game. It was phenomenal. I was triumph. I'm excited. It was great. And then in overtime, they won with a 33-yard field goal. It was just phenomenal. I mean, it was like, it was great. We went on to the Super Bowl. And you know, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you're like, oh, man, I hate that day. Hate that day. Bronco fan, woo, awesome. But you know what? I said, it's okay. It's okay. That was just called, that was just called the drive. But the next year, it was the fumble, and Cleveland lost on the three-yard line to go into score to go to the Super Bowl, and Broncos win again. It was phenomenal. So if you're a Bronco fan, I mean, like, we're living in heaven right now. It was awesome. And we say amen and go home. There's not very many Bronco fans here. All right, so throughout our life, we often hear or read of these impossibilities, these them impossible stories involving ordinary people who face an impossible task that requires divine intervention. Illustrations and stories that involve impossible tasks are intriguing. They're extraordinary. Um, but most of the time, it takes more than just brains and muscle and bravery. And so this morning, we're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. And we're going to see uh, what is, is in front of us as the Israelites prepare for the Red Sea. We have this instance where we now, in Exodus chapter 14, Israel is free. They're free. They have been set free from the bondage that they were in the land of Egypt, which they had been uh, captive for hundreds of years, generations after generations. And we all know generations, right? I mean, that was a long time. They were essentially slaves, but they've been set free. And you can only imagine the exhilaration and the excitement and the enthusiasm and the, the chest bumps and sending out Snapchats and going, look, we're free. Uh, you know, I mean, that was incredible. I'm sure there was enthusiasm as, as millions of, of, of Israelites started to celebrate their way outside of the land of Goshen to the place that the Lord guided them towards. The excitement of freedom and the leaving of Egypt can soon fade into, the, can fade into chaos before you know it when you're under attack. And so we're going to start out in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 14. It says, When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have you done letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. And I, you know, I'm at this point where, you know, it's probably, you know, all of the uh, uh, Pharaoh advisors, you know, again, they're getting on, they're getting on the, the, the phone and they're sending an email or sending a tweet or they're, they're texting and saying, hey, Pharaoh, 
I know exactly why we didn't let why we let them go. It's called the ten plagues. Remember? Remember what they did to us? Get them out of here. And so when we begin to look at that, point number one is how quick we are to forget what God has done and demonstrated. God had done an incredible thing to show the Egyptians that they needed to let the Israelites go. He had demonstrated his power to the Israelites and say, when the time is ready, when the time has come, I have a place for you. But the shock and awe of those plagues and what had happened to the, to the firstborn and all of those things, that, that experience had worn off. And they soon forgot, the Egyptians soon forgot that God is the fighter for Israel. He is the Mike Douglas, whoo, bouncing in the ring. He is the fighter. He is the one. Because they began to forget, they began to think of themselves. Again, we see God about to strike a terrible blow, not only on the false god of Egypt, but also on those who worshipped false gods. Worshipping a false god then and now will bring the wrath of God. For our God, the one and only God, that died and rose again, and stands besides or sits besides the Heavenly Father is the only one that we worship. It's the only one that's going to determine the right and the wrong on Judgment Day. It's the only one that's going to allow you to have access into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so all of these other false gods, all these other things that are going on in our world today have no comparison to what God is. And so in verse 6, we see, so Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. Again, the word called. How do you call 600 guys right away? Hey, right? It's not going to take some time. I mean, you know, you got to get on your donkey and go over and then, hey, Joey, we need you to just get up your chariot. Right? It's going to take a little while. And it took a little while for, for the Israelites. You had a million plus of them that are transferring out of the land of Egypt. And so it's going to take some time. In verse 7, it says he took with them 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left, his fist, who had left their fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all the horses and chariots and charioteers and his troops, the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they had camped beside the shore of Fire-Heroth across from Baal-Zephon. Just like Pharaoh chasing after Israel, forgetting all that God had done, in the same way, Satan is pursuing you. Satan is pursuing us even though we've been set free by the blood of the Passover lamb. He's forgetting what God has done throughout Scripture. Satan continues to forget about what happens, only trying to, provo to provide a way for God's children to fail. And Satan is not finished with us, even though for those of us that have said yes to Jesus, for those of us that have said, yes, God, forgive me of my sins, he's not done, Satan's not done, always tempting us, always looking for our weaknesses, 
He will try to keep you on that border of that domain that, that he can, if he can. And he will try to stir and try to destroy us in any way, whether it be an opening in our mind, an opening in our flesh, or even in our dreams. And so the question that I ask you today is, have you forgot the miracle that God has done in your life? There was a miracle that you said yes to Jesus when you asked him into your life. There was a miracle that you had when God delivered you in finances or God delivered you with a health miracle or God did something in the past and there was something that was only God, only God could, did that, could do that. Do you still remember? Do you still remember that miracle? Because Satan is a copycat. He's a copycat of everything that God does and he tries to deceive us into thinking that we don't have a choice that we have to go this route. I want you to know today and tell you this morning that we can be victors, that we can have victory, that we can walk out of the grasp of the enemy. The things that, are being, that you're being held on to, the things that you're being distracted by, you can be uh, able to walk out of that. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood toe-to-toe with the devil. He went into Jerusalem, which was a daring, a daring move. He went into Jerusalem knowing ahead of time that, it was, that he was going to die. But he also knew that by dying, he was going to come out of the grave fully alive. And we can say hallelujah to that, amen, that he came out of the grave alive. And so he dares the devil in Genesis 3.15. He says, yeah, you're about to bruise my heel, but I'm coming back alive. I'm going to score the knockout punch. I'm going to crush your head, for there is victory in the end. Amen? There is victory in the end. So even though sometimes we forget what God has done and demonstrated, God has never forgotten us. Number two, when we see obstacles, God sees opportunities. Isn't that awesome? When we see obstacles, God sees opportunities. In verse 10, It says, as Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, they looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Verse 12, it says, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? And we said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. There was a sense of desperation. They wanted to be delivered from the hands of the enemy. I imagine for a moment, they were camping outside. They were here, they're camping next to the Red Sea. They're camping out, maybe doing some dishes, doing some laundry, having a good old time, throwing the football around. I don't think they had phones back then, so we're not even going to say anything else, right? But all of a sudden, off in the distance, they see the storm. They see the storm, the dust. They probably hear the chariots and the clanking of the, of the harnesses, and, and they're, they're hearing it. All of a sudden... They begin to panic. 
You see, the opportunity was so close. The Red Sea is right there. It's right there. Mountains to the right, mountains to the left. The enemy is coming from behind. And the opportunity to be delivered is just right there. And they panicked because they were facing a danger and an obstacle. They were forced from the wilderness out of their comfort zone. Instead of remembering what God had done and trusting Yahweh, they began to justify why it would be better to go and live in, as slaves than to be where they're at. Sometimes for us in our lives, we, we turn down a, a, a $30 an hour job or we turn down something that, that we're over here and, it's, oh, yeah, I really love it. And then all of a sudden, it, it, it doesn't go as well. And we start saying, well, I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to go over here and work. And you come back over here and you're like, why am I over here? I hated this job. And this is what the, Egyptian, or this is what the Israelites were doing. They didn't like to be in slavery. They didn't like what was going on over here in Egypt. And so they celebrated that they were free. But they forgot what God had done. They forgot what God had demonstrated. Today, maybe you may be facing a Red Sea moment. You look up, and things might look bleak, and they might look dark. Those obstacles of a difficult relationship, parenting challenges, marital crises. Last week, Pastor talked about physical and mental health. Insecurity, jealousy, and things like that. And so we have questions, and the Israelites had questions. A few years ago, Cheryl and I had a Red Sea moment. Cheryl's my wife. <clears throat> and we were married for, for eight years. We had three kids under, the five, under five. And how many of you that have three kids under five or had three kids under five are like, whoo, yeah, I've been there. That's a lot of fun. What were you thinking, right? It was, it, was, it was incredible. But in this Red Sea moment, we found out that our daughter at age four was diagnosed with, with diabetes. And the first thing as we were going through it, the first thing was I'm so thankful that it wasn't something more severe. I'm so thankful that, that it, it's not what, you know, cancer or something else. And we were thankful for that. But yet in that moment of this storm, of this moment, it was, it was difficult. And it was hard. This obstacle brought stress. It rearranged our schedules. It depleted our finances to the point where we couldn't even buy the insulin from the pharmacy because we didn't have enough money. giving her shots in the middle of the night, wondering why, holding down her arm, holding up her leg, waking her up when the needle would go in, and asking why. Why? And there are moments like that, and there are moments that we deal with, that we face, that we have to learn how to hold on to Jesus Christ. We have to hold on to who He is and hold on what he's doing. But there are moments and there are times when we hold Jesus from a distance. And we're holding Jesus like this. And I don't know if you've carried a, a bucket of feet or a, a sack on your shoulder or, or even your kids. 
And when your kids are, you're holding them and they're bouncing back and forth and you're, you're like, oh, my back, my legs. It's, it's, it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. It's hard. It's difficult. And a lot of times we're doing that with Jesus. We're holding Jesus out here from a distance. And with that distance comes the lies of the enemy that comes in between us and says, it's okay to, to do this. It's okay to miss church. Or it's okay to lie. Or it's okay to do this. Whatever it is. Whatever you're dealing with. Whatever your struggles are. And because God and Jesus is at a distance you want to hold them close enough and say, God, I love you today, but I can only talk to you on Thursday because I'm busy Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I really can't give you enough time. And that's what we're doing. We're holding Jesus out here. We're justifying that it's close. We're justifying that he's close to us, but in reality, we're holding him from a distance. Kind of like when you're holding the child that's up here and all of a sudden it decides it wants to puke. Like, ha! Ah! <clears throat> you're not far enough away. We hold Jesus from a distance. And this morning, I want to encourage you that we have to learn how to hold Jesus tight. We have to learn how to hold Jesus to the place that becomes uh, not just comfortable, but doable. That every trial and every test and every frustration, that we know that Jesus is there. It's kind of like when you take your child and you hold them up and you're holding them, and they put their head on, their, on your shoulder, and they put their arms around your neck, and you're just like, ah, oh. it's so peaceful. It's so sweet. It's so awesome. And God wants us to be able to reach out to him and say, God, I need you. I need you. The obstacle that Sharon and I faced gave us the opportunity for us to experience God Experience God in a different way because if that, if that struggle would never have happened, if that obstacle would never have happened, we would not have known God in the way of reliance, the way that we needed to. And so we are, we, we're, we're thankful for that. But we also had learned from him to be able to do the impossible with our family structure, our unity, our plans, our organization, definitely organization. I think, he, I, think she gave, I think God gave more to Cheryl in organization than she did me. But, and then, and then prayer. We're so thankful for that. But it's the impossible. That's exactly what he is going to do in your life. It's the impossible, what he's going to do in your prayers and in your faith as a result of trusting him through those obstacles. Maybe it will be a, a new changed heart. Maybe there will be a, a new attitude. Maybe it will be a forgiving spirit. Maybe it will be greater patience. Or maybe you'll get a, you'll get a facelift. Your, your, your countenance and your life will go from despair and doom and gloom and it becomes where it's joyful and you're at peace because what God is doing in your life. Psalms 37, 9 says, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord, and he is there to strengthen in the times of trouble. We can't allow the obstacles that the enemy tries to throw in our way to prevent us from the opportunities that God wants to use us. Number three, we can focus. Everybody say focus. Focus. This side was louder. Come on, focus. Hey, all right, there we go. 
We can focus on our problem or we can choose to trust God. We can focus on our problem or we can choose to trust God. Verse 13, it says, But Moses told the people, Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. I love that particular part where God is promising right here that you will never see these Egyptians again. He made a promise. And he said, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. The problem here is that the Israelites see the Egyptians. They were focusing on it. They saw it. They knew the mountains to the right. They knew the mountains to the left. They, they knew they, there was nowhere to go. And so the problem was the Egyptians. They're the ones with the hammer. They're the ones with the military fight. They're the ones with the sword. And so they, they focused on the problem. This is a time of crisis. And Moses says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And at this point, I believe Moses did not have the slightest idea how God was going to deliver them. And maybe here today, you've been in that situation. It's like, God, I really don't know how you're going to deliver me in this situation. But you're so thankful that he did. And Moses is there, and so maybe he thought, you know, God, I, you know, it would be awesome if you brought some angels down and you just wrapped us up in a big old blanket and a big old net and you just transported us over to the other side of the Red Sea. Man, God, that would be just awesome. Or maybe Moses thought, you know, God, I just think that maybe God's just going to knock them dead right there. Just going to knock them dead, take them out. But what Moses did do was he believed. He didn't know what was going to take place. He didn't know how it was going to be taking place, but he believed. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I don't want to spoil the story for anybody. But God did a miracle that day. And he opened up and parted the sea, and they got to the other side. And it was an incredible miracle that took place. But even though that happened, I don't think that that was one of the resources that the Israelites thought was going to take place. They were probably scrambling through the book and figuring out, okay, okay God, what kind of miracles can God do? Open up the Red Sea? No, 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 that's not it. Um, you know, I, I, it probably wasn't one of the resources that they thought God was going to do. The second thing Moses says was stand still and watch. Standing still is not one of those, uh, those uh, you know, instincts that I'm going to use when the enemy is coming my way. Right? Stand still. <laughs> no, you got a sword. I ain't, I ain't going there. Right? Or it's kind of like, it's kinda like if, uh, if you're struggling in your finances, and I hope that that's not happening, but if you're struggling in your finances and it's like, i got to pay a bill, you're like, nah, I'm not going to go deal with that right now, and we go another direction, right? Or whatever it may be. Moses says, stand still and watch. Satan thought that he had an upset victory with, with Cheryl and I, with our daughter and our boys Look, I tell you today that God is still in the healing business. Moses says to stand in confidence and be ready. To stand and to be ready. Not to panic. Not to panic, but put away your despair. 
and put away your despair. Because, because despair and fear will tell you to retreat. Despair and fear will tell you to retreat. Impatience, impatience will tell you that you have to do something right now. If you've got a little kid or maybe a, maybe a spouse, I'm not sure. I want it now, right? Impatience, impatience will tell you you have to do it right now. And presumption, you presume, that will tell you to jump into the sea before God says to. And so we see that we have to be willing to focus on God and choose to trust Him rather than focus on the problem and only go to God when we want to. We can't panic. We can't be in despair. We can't be impatient. And we can't presume just to take the step when God hasn't told us to go. Which will be something that we'll talk about here in a few moments. The third one is God will fight for you. Maybe you, this morning your battle is raging. Maybe this morning you're, you're in the middle of the storm, but it's calm, and there's, there's not a lot of things there. Maybe today you're, you're riding the, the triumphant horse of God, and you're just things are going well. When your eyes get focused on the problem, you forget how big your God is. God's a big God, but we lose sight of who He is and what He can do when we start focusing on the problem that we're facing today. And so I want us to kind of look at this. I don't want us to look at life through the lens of our failure, but through the lens of what God wants you to be. When we look through the lens of, of our failure, of the things that we can't do, well, I can't do that. I can't do this. I'm no good at that. And we start breaking that down, and we start focusing on a problem of what we can't do, and God's saying, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am the one that created you and the one that made you before that you were ever born out of the womb. I knew what you were going to be. I knew your giftings. I knew who you are. I knew your makeup. I knew your DNA. I knew all of those things because I created you from the beginning. And God says, take the eyes off of the failure and look through the lens of who you can be. Point number four says prayer is vital. Prayer is vital. I mean, that's huge, right? I mean, we have our, <laughs> we have our prayer teams up here. We pray before the service. I mean, we, and we need more. I mean, I believe there are some prayer warriors right now in this service that would love to come up here and, and stand here and just wait for an individual that needed prayer and say, man, I'll believe with you in a miracle. Man, we'd love to have you be a part of our prayer team. So many things, praying for our Easter egg drop, praying for, you know, other events that we do uh, and being part of that. You can go on to Facebook and be part of our prayer group. And so when there's things that come through our church, you can join that. And we'll get you in there. But prayer is vital. It's, it's, it's a necessity. But sometimes God says you got to move. Sometimes you, you got to move. In verse 15 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Why are you crying? Get moving. Mosley boldly stands before the people in verse 13 and 14 and says, Do not be afraid. Be still. He did it so eloquently. 
He says, and see the salvation of the Lord. He speaks in front of his people with confidence, full of faith of God. And then he goes, uh, hold for a second. Hey, God, you are an awesome God. Um, I know that you're great and you're wonderful and I, I appreciate you and, and I, I really need uh, what you need, you, what, you, what you want me to do. And God's saying, why are you crying to me and not knowing what to do? Will you please move? And there's something very powerful that God was telling Moses, that there's a time to pray and there's a time to act. And sometimes we get caught in the prayer because we're unwilling to make the move. Well, I'm just not sure if God's told me yet. So I'm just going to keep praying. Eventually God will release me and then I'll be able to go. And that may be true. But you can't be afraid to move just because you don't want to go where God wants you to go. So if we think about what, God's, what God is saying here, you know, just real quick, show me a raise of hands. If you ever had to tell someone, you know, maybe your child or your spouse, or maybe even yourself in these different situations, <coughs> but there are moments when, when, there, when things are going on where you've had to ask somebody to move. So if your spouse, you're kind of like, will you please move your coat? Have you ever had a spouse, wives, husbands? Will you please move your stuff off the table? Will you please put your shoes away? You know, and, and it's like, well, I'm praying for it. I'm praying. I'll, I'll get there eventually, right? Or maybe you're, a, maybe you're a, a, you got a child and you're like, will you please just eat your peas? Oh, but mom, dad, I'm just, just, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Well, I had, I had a, a great story that I've shared in the first two services. And, and I remember <coughs> um, being in Greeley, Colorado and, and uh, living in this apartment complex and, and sitting down at the table and got presented to this, this, this concoction of some kind of meal. It was liver and onions or I don't, I don't know how they even make that. For sure, and, and so I'm sitting there, and my mom's here to, to attest to the uh, story. I might be a little bit, but... So I was sitting there, and it was like an hour. I mean, I was a studious student. I want to study, and my mom says, you're not studying, you just sit there and eat that liver and onions. So I got, I'm sitting there, and an hour goes by, and, right, it's crazy, <laughs> parents. I'm sitting there, and mom goes off into the other part of the apartment, and Throw it in the trash can. Victory! My mom comes back and takes it out of the trash. I stay there for another hour and I have to eat the liver and onions. I was bruised. I'm marked for life. We do not have liver and onions in my house. And if you go to your house, I'm not having liver and onions. I love you, Mom. There are times that we actually are going against God by praying when we need to be moving forward and taking action. Maybe it's giving someone a hand. Maybe it's providing for somebody, like Pastor Ryan provided $57 to the person at McDonald's. Maybe it's, maybe it's being on the dream team, the dream team prayer team, the, the connect team. We have an awesome red team and black team that serves two times a month. It's phenomenal what they do and their passion to build and encourage and help and Love on people that come in these doors. But we're not at a full capacity. We're not. The production team, 
Do you know how much that can be done with production if we have the right types of people that are gifted and talented in those areas? There are so many things that can be done. We're not even scratching the surface yet of what God wants us to do. Whatever it is, God's got a plan and a purpose. And if you haven't been a part of, of, of the growth track um, class, you need to be a part of it. Because you find out your giftings. You find out what, what this church means and, and what we believe and, and, and the purpose and the vision. But after you go through that class, you can't just sit there and say, oh, Lord, I'm not sure what I want to do. We've had 175 people go through that class. But I don't know if everyone has remembered the miracle that God did for them in that class. And so they're praying and asking God, God, show me what you want me to do. And sometimes we have to start moving and allow God to begin to show you as you're moving in that. I'll put it to you this way. You don't need to pray about trusting Jesus. You just need to trust. You don't need to pray to God about, about um, following the commandments of the Bible. You just have to obey. There are absolute truths in the Word of God that's there for us to follow, not to pray and say, oh, God, I'm not sure if you really knew what you were talking about when you wrote that. It's not what it's there for. It's to follow His commands. So number five, God will work powerfully on your behalf, but He often asks for our obedience first. Verse 16, it says, Pick up your staff and raise your hand over, your, over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. God will work powerfully. I don't know about you, but that's a powerful illustration of what can, God can do. Amen? And maybe you're here this morning and God's done some powerful things in your life. And you could stand up here and share a story greater than anything that I can say because of the power of God. and How incredible that is. But, we, but he often asks for our obedience first. Moses had to be obedient. There was something that was going to take place that was going to be incredible. In verse 18, it says, When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am Lord, that know that I am God. There was, there was something that was going to happen in the future context that needed to take place, and the only way it was going to take place is if Moses was obedient to what God's power was going to do. God told the Moses, God told Moses to tell the children of Israel to keep moving forward. And Moses had to step in front of them inside of the people and lift up his hands, lift up the rod, and watch God divide the sea. It didn't make any sense to him. He had seen things. He had seen the plagues. It, it, it didn't make any sense. But he had to make a choice. To step out in faith and watch God work or doubt the word. Moses had seen God do many things. And this was going to be one of them. It wasn't about the human reasoning and trying to evaluate and overthink it. And, uh, it was about understanding to choose to obey God and step out in faith. To keep moving where God wants us to be. To be able to allow the power of God to work in your life. But we have to be obedient. Number six. God will stand between us and the enemy. We never fight alone. God will stand between us and the enemy. Verse 19, it says, Then the angel of God who had been leading 
the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of the cloud also moved from the front and stood behind him. We, as we continue to think about the battles that we face and to know that sometimes in the battles that we face, James 4, 7 says that God reminds us that we have to call out to Jesus and says that the devil will flee, that he has to flee in the name of Jesus. Whether we recognize it or not, this truth daily confronts us. We face an enemy that's here in this life. It's more than what we can see before us. It's more than another person that has wronged us. It's more than our own struggles or our weaknesses that we deal with or the negative self-talk that we sometimes battle. God's victory prepares us for great testings. Because Moses was obedient, the Red Sea was parted. And because they were able to get through to the other side, it was a great victory. But on the other side had some great testings. So great victories prepare us for great testings. Next point is, <clears throat> the same God who led you in will lead you out. The same God who led you in will lead you out. In verse 22, it says, So the people of Israel walked in through the middle of the sea on dry ground and the walls of the water on each side. What an incredible piece that we see here. The God that led them into the sea, okay, this God, this, this God is the same God that you call on when you need assistance at your job or assistance in your marriage or assistance in your decisions or assistance in your finances or assistance on where to eat. Wherever it is, that assistance, that call on God, that God that's there when you walk in and you call out His name is the same God that's going to be there on the other side when you walk out. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to take a time out. He's not going to say, well, you, I got you in here, Israel. I got you in here. You just keep on going. I'll come back because there's a million of you plus. It's going to take a while for you to get across the sea. You'll be fine. No, that's not God. God doesn't leave us or forsake us. He gets you. He's there for you. He's going to get you in, and you're in that battle. You're facing that struggle. You don't like it. It's tough. It's hard. Your daughter has diabetes. You, you're, you're diagnosed with cancer. You, you're, you're frustrated. You're divorced. God's in with you when you go through that situation and that trauma, and he's going to be the God that's going to be with you when you walk out of it. So don't lose hope of who God is. That God is there. But the funny thing that I love about st the story is that it says, it says in uh, verse 24, it says, But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army and the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. You see, God's a tactical God. God's just, God, doesn't, God doesn't just throw up the quarter and say, Heads, ah, it, it's tails. Ah, oh, it's tails again. I knew I should have hit tails. Why? No, God's tactical. God knows that the last person in Israel, the Israelites, was standing right over there. He knew that the Egyptians were right here. And they were gaining ground. And so God makes a tactical decision in Scripture, and it says that he twisted their chariot wheels. He, he took them, and they were like, going so fast, this is awesome, we're going to get them. And then all of a sudden, their wheels were twisted. 
God made a calculated decision. You know God's good at math for all you students? God is good in math. He knew that it was going to take X amount of time, X plus Y equals Z, and if, they, if that equation worked out, they were going to get the Israelites. And God knew, i got to slow them down. So what better way to slow them down than twist their wheels? Oh, that's pretty creative. That's pretty awesome, right? Didn't say they fell off, right? Because if they fell off, the horses probably could still pull them. But it says they were twisted, so now they're like, mm -hmm. they probably fell out of the chariot and had to get back on and do it again. It was, it was, I'm sure it was quite the story. But then here's the, here's, the, here's the awesome part. It says in verse 26, it says, when all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand. Be obedient again. Raise your hand over the sea. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and the chariots and the charioteers. And I should say back in 25, just real quick, it says, let's get out of here, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And so God knew, again, God knew Israelites were here. If I did anything to the Egyptians before they got far enough in the sea, they would be able to turn around and be saved. So God knew that they had to get so far into the sea, and he knew how fast they go, so that when the Israelites got to the other side, there was no way for the Egyptians to make it outside of the sea and not back into the shore and be saved. And every one of them died and perished because God knew. And so when you tell me that God doesn't know the pain that you're going through, when you tell me that God doesn't know the hurt that you're facing, when you tell me that God doesn't know what, what you're dealing with, let me tell you, God is a God that loves you and cares for you, and he's going to be with you through the entire battle that you face because he's not going to want the enemy to catch you. And he'll do whatever he can to prevent that. The last point says that we need a vision that demands divine intervention that keeps us in a state of desperation to do the impossible. We need a vision. We need a vision as a church to understand that when you walk in these doors, there's a reason why you're here is to worship our King and our Lord, and we're not going to waver from that. You need to know that when you come into this church, the goal and the mission of the church is to reach the lost. Where, change, where, where, where lost people can be found and where you come as you are, but eventually God's going to transform you into the way that he wants you to be, to be healthy and courageous and all the other things that God's created you to be. We need to have a vision. As a father, you need to have a vision of what it means to raise up your son or daughter. As a mom, you need to know what it means to be that mom, to be a caregiver, to be able to be a supportive piece to your husband and to the connections that God tells us as husband and wife and how important that is. You need to have a vision of what it means to be an employer, an employee, to be able to care for that, to be a leader in that, to be a leader in our community. We have a vision. But if that vision doesn't require a divine intervention it's just you being a good old boy it's just you being you man i'm a good guy i'm gonna give you five dollars because you need it i'm gonna help you when you need it 
But when my vision, when your vision causes you to, to, to rely on God, God, I cannot go over there. God, I cannot give my employees $2,000 this year. You're calling me, God. I know you're telling me I have to give them more money. God, I can't do it. I'm, I, I can't. It's when you can't do it is when you take that step of faith and it becomes a divine intervention. God, I cannot do this without you. I cannot be the guy you want me to be. I cannot be the girl that you want me to be until you, God, give me the strength and the courage to be able to take that step. God, I gotta, I gotta take that step. I gotta move. And then, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting you, God, that you're gonna move mountains. We need a vision that, de that demands divine intervention that keeps us in a state of des desperation. Because when you've got to do something that God can only do, and you're taking that step of faith, you've got, you got to be desperate for God. God, I'm praying for you, Lord Jesus. Today, God, I'm going to trust in you. God, I know that you have created, and there's boundaries for me to go. And God, I pray that you give me the courage to go forward, because I've got to be desperate. Because if I'm not desperate for him, then I'm not going to demand his intervention in my life. Because in order to do the impossible, in order to, be, to do the impossible, we have to move. We have to take a step of faith. We have to trust in him. Luke 18, 27 says, the things which are impossible for men are possible for God. There are things that you cannot do without the divine intervention of God. And the things that you can do, man, give God the glory, the hallelujahs. Praise the Lord for who he is, amen? But when you're talking about, God, use me. Use me, God. Put me on the dream team. Put me in areas of my life that I can be used by you. We have to, we have to depend on God and be desperate. I was desperate. I was desperate that God will heal our daughter. I was desperate. I was in ministry, and I knew tons of top, what I consider <clears throat> to be elite ministers of the gospel. And we would put, we would put our daughter in their hands and say, God, touch her, heal her. We would anoint her with oil. We would, we would do whatever we could. Well, no, we, we didn't do the snake thing. I don't believe in that. Just, just saying. We did whatever we could so God would know that we were desperate. God said no. He said no. And that's okay because today God's using her in the medical field of diabetes as a doctor to help other patients. And I'm only telling you that because to, to know that we have to be desperate. And the things that we do in our life, if we just take it normally, it's not going to be there. So as we close today and we're going to sing this song, what if we build a church that actually changed lives? What if we build a church that actually wanted to change lives and do whatever we could? What if you build a home that whatever you did would change the lives of your kids and your relationships and your family because of how you live for God? What if we build a place that actually desired to change and do greater things for God?